Many times when choosing a payroll service, you have to choose between a new startup with a great app or an established company whose tech may feel behind the times. With OnPay, you get the best of both worlds, a great app from an established company that's been providing payroll services for over 30 years in all 50 states. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, OnPay, later in the episode. Yeah, it's just a matter of comfort levels at firms, right? So I'd say in 2019, you kind of, you know, swung on a miss a little bit on the texting thing. But in 2020, your 2020 prediction, absolute home run for Blake Oliver. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Let's So uh, let me read it even. It's amazing. This is me reading Blake's, Blake's quote here. I don't even know if I could do a Blake voice, but we'll just... uh, So this was my prediction about 12 months ago? About 12 months ago. Okay. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Clockshark. Now more than ever, your clients with teams in the field are looking to reduce contact and automate their manual paperwork processes. The team at Clockshark has been busy scrambling to keep up with demand by helping accountants move clients from frustrating paper timesheets to their much-loved mobile time tracking app. Even with this increased demand, Clockchart continues to provide fast and delightful support. They're actively working with accountants and bookkeepers to implement product feedback and improvements to their already robust app that includes features like crew tracking, scheduling, overtime notifications, routes, geofencing, locations, job costing, budgeting, and reporting. To try the timesheet app that's taken over the title for best customer support, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash clockchart. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-L-O-C-K-S-H-A-R-K. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Financial Sense. As your firm grows, it becomes difficult to track everything that's going on. You have to track what your staff is working on, client deadlines, communications, documents, and projects. Financial Sense makes it easy to track everything going on across your firm. You can track what your team is working on, important client deadlines, client communication, and even documents, all in one place. To get 20% off your first three-month subscription to Financial Sense, use the promo code GETSTARTED. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash sense. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-E-N-T-S. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. Blake, it's our last episode of 2020. Can you believe this year is finally wrapping up? Actually, it's been a really nice year for me, and I feel bad saying that because it's been such a horrible year for so many people. But this is the story of the pandemic. People who could work from home have been able to go work from home. We've been able to relocate. I moved out of LA. I bought a house in Arizona. I love it here. I'm spending more time with my family. Quality of life has gone up. It's just strange. I feel like I definitely, I was fortunate and obviously had work as well because of being able to work remotely. But I also feel like I just like heads down into work too much in 2020. Almost like it was used it as a distraction. Huh. Um, where my whole day was just, it's like, I feel like it made 2020 fly by at some level, but at some other level, it just made it take forever. So I'm hoping that 2021 is a little bit different for everybody. Hopefully better. Uh, well, I saw like a, over um, a million people have gotten the vaccine already. Yes. Yeah. I mean, to get a million people to do anything, I mean, that that's a pretty fast adoption of tech, if you think about it. It's like, true. That was in a week or a week and a half. Quite a rollout. I know somebody uh, hit, me, hit us up on Twitter wondering if we're going to do our predictions again. Um, I think I want to save those to the end of the episode, but I think it could be fun to look back at our previous two years of predictions. Everybody's doing these annual surveys. What's next for 2021? 
How did we do? We've been doing this show for like three years now, right? Yeah, it's about three years. So let's go back to 2019. So we recorded our 2019 predictions. Mm -hmm. And I might have been like a year ahead on this one, but I I talked about how B2B payments, people will stop using their merchant services for B2B payments. They're just going to use services like Avail.com, Aveem. Obviously, Melio now is in this space because you can do it for free. And small businesses are going to discover that and start paying more bills through three. Plus, you get the audit trail and controls and all the other stuff you get along with that. But it's kind of here. You say you said merchant instead of merchant services. Instead of merchant services. Like credit cards? Yeah, Yeah, taking credit cards from your small business to business payments, right? So, your your prediction was B2B payments are going to switch from I pay my business bills with a credit card. Now, I'm doing direct because of the no fee thing. Exactly, because people don't want to pay the fees, right? And ultimately, and and it, it's it's not one hundred percent here yet, but I feel like it's pretty clear that trend has happened. Um, it didn't happen in twenty nineteen. I feel like it happened more in twenty twenty. So that was one of your that was one of your predictions in twenty eighteen or twenty. I was uh, going into twenty nineteen. Okay. So so it's it took two more years, but it got here yeah. <laughs> essentially. Uh, you have a prediction which I think is pretty entertaining because I don't know if it's here. Before you go into my prediction, I actually had a survey result that sort of relates to what you're talking about. Okay. So, a survey I saw on accounting today says that of bookkeepers and accountants, it was a survey of bookkeeping accountants, like cast practices basically, 87% now offer AP services and 77% offer AR services. And that is double digit growth from the same survey taken four years ago. Wow. Basically, everyone's doing it. Obviously, small businesses are doing it as well. Oh, yeah. Because these, these, these services didn't exist. I mean, Bill.com is like almost 10 years old now. So that exists. But in general, even if I think about when we made this prediction, I'm working for a company in that space that didn't even exist two years ago. Yeah. Massive growth in that. Um, I, I don't think it's completely killed other payment methods that maybe people are using their business business customers, yeah. but it's very obvious this industry has exploded. Well, and you put your money where your mouth is because you went and worked for a company that does that. <laughs> apparently, you clearly apparently. believed in your prediction. Well done. Apparently. So, you had a prediction in 2019 that I thought was uh, interesting. And the reason I think it's interesting is because over the last two years, you keep bringing articles related to this, but I don't know if it's actually happened or not yet. And maybe you have some survey data, I don't know, but you predicted in 2019 that Firms are going to have to figure out how to communicate better with their clients. And ultimately, that whole mobility and talking to your customer via text. Yeah. They want to text you. I mean, we've all had clients who we text with just on our phones, right? But that's not a scalable solution. If you're messaging people, SMS, there's no retention of the communication. You can't roll that out to your firm in a scalable way. So most firms just like don't even touch that. But I think we're getting to the point where the tech is is there now so that firms can start doing it. So, well, this one's a little further off still. It's probably going to start happening over the next few years. And I brought a story today about that. Zoom, I don't know if you're aware of this, Zoom now has Zoom phone. They're trying to take over the whole communication stack for businesses. So, it's not just video chat. You can actually get a VoIP phone number through Zoom where people can call you and you can answer using the client, like a ring central. And now just released announced three days ago on their blog, I I think it's been around for a little while, but they're really rolling this out. Zoom phone now has SMS and MMS, so text messaging capabilities. So, you could give a phone number, your Zoom phone number to a client and they could text you at that phone number and it's going to go to your computer on your Zoom app, not to your phone in messages where you're going to lose all that stuff. And, you know, they have the document retention or the messaging retention across your whole firm. You can manage all that stuff. So, I think we're getting to the point where like, it's going to be hard to say no to this. I mean, 
now the security reasons, the security problems have been addressed. Yeah, it's just a matter of comfort levels at firms, right? So yeah. I'd say in 2019, you kind of, you know, swung on a miss a little bit on the texting things. But in 2020, your 2020 prediction, absolute home run for Blake Oliver. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Let's so uh, let me read it even. It, it's amazing. Okay. This is me reading Blake's, Blake's quote here. I don't even know if I could do a Blake voice, but we'll just- uh, So this was my prediction about 12 months ago? About 12 months ago. Okay. My prediction for this year is either QuickBooks or Zero or one of the GL apps or maybe Square. I mean, Square's essentially already done it, is going to create a bank. They're going to become a bank. I could totally see Intuit doing this. Where you sign up for QuickBooks, you get a bank account. It's already integrated and integrated to the point where it's just perfect. You get all the information you could possibly want out of the bank feed because it's integrated Intuit partnered with a bank that does it. And QuickBooks launched their bank this year. Blake, I mean, it's absolutely true. nailed it. Stripe Treasury. Now every app is going to have a bank account. Every app will do uh, it as well, yes. I mean, that we've we've talked to firms that are thinking about integrating this, that have applied for the program to integrate this into their own apps. So soon we might have accounting firms spinning up bank accounts for people. But, you know, that was an easy prediction for me to make, David, because you've been feeding me these articles for years now. <laughs> So I just I just use the information you provided. That's all. So I know the one in 2020 that I missed on. I was pretty adamant that we would see a QuickBooks Live type product launch or announcement from Zero or Sage, and I don't think we ever saw it this year. Nope, never happened. They have stayed far away from that. I think the argument from Intuit on doing QuickBooks Live is that there's just too many people who want bookkeeping and not enough bookkeepers to provide it. Yeah, because I mean, 35, 40 percent of the QuickBooks base is looking for bookkeepers right. that they, they can't provide the demands out there. And the other apps just don't have that uh, small yeah. business demand on that side of the equation. That's true. That's true. So, and then I did have a pretty – oh, go ahead. Well, Sorry. so are you going to stick with your prediction as eventually happening or are you backing off of that? Oh, I think eventually they will. Mm-hmm. I, I think they're going to have to because I think it's just going to be demanded, right? The the market's going to demand it eventually. Everybody's going to have to head down that path. Um, I, I, I don't think I'm going to put a line in the sand saying that Sagric um, Zero will announce this in 2021, though. The other prediction I had in 2020 that apps, the lines were just going to get blurred and crossed. So you have payment apps, adding credit cards, you know, uh, receipt bank added a credit card expenses, uh, Expensify added bill pay. Mm-hmm. Everybody's getting each other's lanes. Intuit got in the bank, created a bank, banks launched GLs or bought GLs, right? Everybody's in each other's lanes of traffic. And really, I've saw I have two articles this week that really kind of are three that really kind of really hit home on this, proving that I kind of nailed this. So, the first one is to touch on Zoom again. So, Zoom has announced that they're starting to look into creating an email service, a calendar app, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And probably also uh, office services. So, they're probably specifically going to start with email and calendar because that actually makes sense to book meetings, right? You're constantly copying, you're, you're constantly taking something from Zoom and putting it into your calendar or into email. So I don't I don't think they're doing that to solve a problem because the the Zoom integration with Google and Microsoft's pretty good. They've got those plugins. It's really to defend against Microsoft Teams and Google Hangouts. Microsoft and Google are developing their own Zoom essentially. Yeah, and I mean they want they want to round out the product so it's less of a single use platform, right? right? It becomes yeah. you, you just have no excuse not to why if you if you have everybody especially Zoom if you think about it if people are on Zoom 6 7 8 hours a day, they own the eyeballs. And, right? and why they, they, why wouldn't you want your email integrated into your phone and your video conferencing? 
that's your communications platform. It makes a lot of sense. I've always or wondered, even a better chat. How many times right. on a Zoom do you not use a Zoom chat and then you you, you chat somebody a link in Slack because you know the second you close that Zoom, the link's gone. So I've always wondered why Zoom doesn't build out its chat more. A lot of people don't even realize this, but from the Zoom app, you don't even have to be in a call with somebody. You can chat with other Zoom users and they don't even have to be in your organization. So this solves one of the problems with Slack, which is that if you're not in somebody's Slack organization, you can't just Slack another random Slack user. So make sure I'm hearing you correctly. You and I can send messages to each other through a Zoom chat? Yeah. And you just need to know my email address. So it's like Skype. You add my email address on Zoom. I'm in your contacts. And then you can message me anytime if I'm online. And you can see if I'm online and you can initiate a video call. Are you the only person in the world that knows this feature exists? <laughs> I, bl- I blew somebody's mind just telling them about this the other day. I was, I was working with a marketing person at a CPA society and I added them to Zoom and I messaged them and they were like, what? I didn't know you people could message me outside of my organization. I'm like, yeah, it works. Just nobody does it because I think people aren't aware of it. But it seems to me like a huge feature... That's so convenient because, right, it solves that problem of like, what if I don't really just want to send an email to this person? I just wanted to send a quick message. Yeah. So, yeah. So, it's just, it's weird. It's like they should build that out. You know, they could basically Zoom could build Slack into their application, but have it be like a lot easier to use because you don't have that organizational problem. I want to touch on Square. So, obviously, we touch, it seems like we talk about Square every week, but Square is a great example of getting everybody else's lanes, right? Well, now Square's in talks about possibly purchasing, they're initially in talks with Jay-Z. So, Jay-Z, he's like a bajillionaire, right? Uh-huh. He owns the Knicks. He owns everything. Well, he, he purchased a music streaming app called Tidal for $56 million in 2015. And now Square is thinking about purchasing that. Square is going to buy a music streaming service? Music streaming service. I think this might be the beginning of the end for Square. <laughs> so, that I don't know because if you really step back and, and, and think about Dorsey – Jack Dorsey, who's founded Twitter. Uh-huh. Well, even before that, early on in his career, when he's just like a kid programming stuff, he, it's all for him, it's always a bit these micro communications, right? And the first thing he ever built, he built like some like ambulance dispatch thing. I don't even know for sure, but, but it's all micro communications. Like, where's that ambulance at at this time? What is traveling through the intersection at this time? Like, it's just very small back and forth one way or more one way type communications, right? Mm-hmm. And then he created Twitter, which is very teeny micro communications. And then really ultimately financial information is micro communications, micro financial relationships, right? And if you really think about it, I was, I was thinking about this article. If you think about every time you stream a piece of music, that's you and that artist having a micro communication or a micro transaction. And so what if, what if he changes the business model instead of like right now with Spotify, I sign up for Spotify, I pay my 12 bucks a month or whatever I'm mm-hmm. paying, and that money just gets divvied up equally across every single artist, regardless of maybe I only listen to three or four independent artists, they're not going to get a majority of my money. I'm, I'm paying for music I ain't listening to. So, what if Dorsey and Square turn this upside down to where the money you're, you pay in and the money, the tracks you listen to, that money actually goes to those artists more directly? I thought that's how Spotify was supposed to work, where people got paid for every listen. But it's really small amounts. So you're yeah, so you're they saying- get paid for each listen, but you don't get my twelve bucks. If, if you're an artist on Spotify and you're the only person I listen to, Blake, you don't get my twelve bucks. Right, you get a small fraction of the twelve bucks. I, exactly. I mean, you get you get a payment per listen, which pro- does not add up to the twelve bucks. 
But the relationship is between right. me and you as the artist, ultimately. And, and again, it's a transactional-based conversation. Well, and people have talked about this, like micropayments, the idea that you could design the apps that uses perhaps a cryptocurrency. And then every time I listen to you, you get a... You, it, it, the algorithm would divvy up the money of the, all the subscribers to the artists who got listened to and then take a cut for the platform. And if, and if the artists are going to make more money on a service like Tidal, yeah. they're going to push their listeners to that service. Right. So, well, so that, mean, that's it's happening. interesting. It's interesting, but it does, it, it does seem like out. I mean, I guess it would be an inter- if, if Square built this technology and then used it for all sorts of other stuff, like what if you had a podcast service where, Whenever somebody listened to an episode, there was a microtransaction, and we actually got could get paid by our listeners. Oh, exactly. So, so this leads to you're right. Every other service right. out there, um, that's cool. You, you, your uh, auto mechanic, every mile you drive in your car, you're paying that person. Right? It just doesn't end. Uh, tires, right? And you're right. It's all micro conversations. Can we do it so that like every time a client calls me or emails me, it charges them? <laughs> I don't have to keep track of it. It could be that, right? Or it could be, you know, a lot of people try to bill on like transaction volume their clients. Yeah. What if it just did it automatically? Now now this could actually truly happen and it's truly accurate. So, it, it seems like crazy. Like why is Square buying a music service? But if you break it down to it's all about the transaction and the conversation yeah. and it makes a lot of sense. So, this leads me into the major story I think of this week. I got an email from David Barrett. He sent out an email and he announced a new product called Expensify.cash. Did you get this email? So, I did not get this email, which is weird because I've always gotten all of his emails. So, I, did I get unsubscribed? Did they kick me off of the email list? <laughs> did you unsubscribe on accident? I don't, you, I don't even know if you can. Oh, yeah. There's a little link at the bottom. I don't think so. I always like these emails. I, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I've offended the powers that be at, at Expensify. I did some testing when I was at Intuit. So, I have like a David 2, a David 3. I have like four email addresses. I got So, I get the emails four times every time. So, okay. if you're ever... I'll start sending you an extra one. <laughs> so, yeah, forward me that email. But um, I probably don't have time to read it right now. So, maybe you could summarize for me what is going on. Yeah. So, this ties into the prediction I had of apps are... It's going to get gray on what apps do or don't do. It actually ties into the talk about conversations in the transactions at that deep level that I just talked about with Square. So, David Barrett announced that they're open creating an open source financial group chat that's going to be like Slack, SMS, or WhatsApp, but it's optimized for financial conversations. And they're making it open source. So, they're trying to have a community of developers work on this product, this product launch together. So, you can actually go. It has a site spun up. So, if you go to expensify.cash, Okay. You can actually join the wait list. They are letting developers only in first. So that way developers can use it and build out more functionality for it. And they actually have job posting. So when they have problems that need to be solved, they're just posting a job on Upwork and letting developers make some extra cash. So they're not even using internal developers to build this a little bit. So I'm at expensify.cash. I can see the screenshot. It looks like the Square Cash app. Am I wrong? Like what's different about this? Square Cash, where it also looks like um, Venmo, right? It's very chat-based. Uh-huh. I'll get into some details, but I think Expensify doesn't want to miss the chance for them to be the platform. So, I guess the difference is that this is open source. So, anyone could build on top of this to pay people with a chat-based interface. Is that- that's correct. Okay. So, that's, that's the difference between this and Square, which is closed. So, so going through this email, and so, you know, David Barrett writes these really, really deep emails, mm-hmm. but I do feel like this one is a little over the top. 
he's talking about how like their whole vision of Expensify was never really a, about expense reports. Their long-term product vision derives from the core belief payments and chat are the same thing. It's interesting because I've never heard that in any conversations I've had with any Expensify <laughs> employees or David Barrett himself. But I always heard it along the lines with Jack Dorsey and Twitter and Square. Yeah. I always heard about – that's why I talked about that before that, that microtransaction thing. And so, essentially, he, he goes on to say, every payment is structured chat to resolve some kind of debt tension that exists between two people. And that kind of makes sense. Yeah. You're, you're, every payment's a transaction or a conversation. We just talked about that with Square. He goes on to frame this as Expensify.cash is a from scratch reimplementation of everything they've learned to date using the most modern technology and wiping away all technical debt in one fail swoop. So they're basically saying everything we've learned for a decade, we've written brand new code and kind of are starting from scratch and spun off a whole separate product, Expensify.cash. He uh, goes on to talk about that the second belief is that financial chat's 100 times bigger than expense reports. Which I would fully agree. And this is a, I, I goes to that whole concept of tweets, right? Or microtransactions, micropayments. Of course, it's bigger than expense reports, right? And so he goes on to say, is most people are surprised to hear that Expensify was never intended to be a pure expense management system, nor was it intended to be exclusively a back office tool or even a business tool. So you hear where this is going? Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to give some interesting numbers. You know, he said 99% of their users are not accountants. They're individual employees. Just trying to, you know, get paid, right? And he throws a dagger at QuickBooks Online. He says even QuickBooks Online only has 5 million users. And he talks about how they already have 10 million users. And he talks about how payment tools, Venmo, Square Cash, they have tens of million users. And millions of users is within striking distance. But he doesn't think a billion people will ever use any app. A billion people will just chat. That's the only thing every single person does is actually just chat. And so then he goes on to talk about billing Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, WeChat, Twitter. Like these are all chat networks first. And then he's kind of talking about how under the hood, it's more like a social network than an enterprise system. And then he goes in to talk about the startup life cycle and how startups spend their VC money and he goes on and on and on. And then it gets really the the questions, the Q&A is more interesting at this. One thing he does say is he says that they're at the first stage. They're still like researching their market fit and building the core platform. That's what they've done for a decade. So they, they have not been a normal startup path. He insists that even though I would look in them, they kind of they have taken the normal startup path. They just haven't done an exit, right? He insists that they're still in stage one, just researching the market still. Um, and let me get into the Q&A because this is interesting. So somebody asked why sh- I should use this over email. He said, Expensify Cash Conversation generates an email summary for you, and it'll be sent out and pushed to you either through email or SMS text. But then eventually, the real-time conversation is going to be more convenient than zillion tiny emails. And then the other question, why would I use this over Slack? And it's because he's saying that it's, it's just more optimized for complex financial transaction conversations. Mm. And he, he talks that the vast majority of people don't even know Slack exists. They don't even use Slack yet. Even though Slack in our world feels big in the grand scheme, nobody even uses Slack. So it obviously feels like there's market space for this. And then uh, he talks about, you know, people ask, like, why wouldn't I just use WhatsApp or SMS for this? And he said, because they don't have threads. Slack solves this with threads and threads, reactions, channels are all features that are coming to Expensify.cash along with our deeply embedded financial tools to manage group expenses. So this is a very ambitious. Yeah. Undertaking for these guys, uh, um, so, and 
Yeah. One one last thing. So somebody asked about does Expensify Cash cost anything? And he's like, no, it's just a free chat tool, enjoy, blah, blah, blah. But he says, and this is the, the kicker, you can think of Expensify as the Amazon Prime for back office services, a one-stop shop for everything you need to run your business, all with a single inclusive price. Even then, it wouldn't cost anything extra. It would just be one more service provided by the Expensify platform. So my prediction, which is like people are going to try to do everything and it's getting money or muddy. Like this is a, the <laughs> best example of it. Expensify is going to try to do everything. So it's it's Slack, it's email, it's Amazon Prime for back office services. What is going on? So like my biggest problem with this idea is that the hardest thing to do is to get people to download a new app these days, even if it's free to get users on your app. And so why would somebody go download this app versus the Square Cash app, which seemingly everybody or Venmo, which seemingly everybody has one of those two. This this app has no value unless my network of people that I know is using it already. And it's not, they're not using it now. So you've got to get over that hump. So like, I don't know. This is crazy. This is pretty wild. Yeah, it is a very, very out there idea. Um, It feels very like we're just a brand new startup with two employees kind of an idea. So it's it's very interesting to watch how this evolves. But there's a couple of things I do like about it. I, I do like this concept of like maybe the pay, a payment chat system should be open sourced. Like, like why should one company control this and win the whole game? Right, right. right? Maybe, maybe, right. maybe so. I, so I so I kind of support like that concept of that and like the community pay part of this. But I do feel like it's just a big jump for expensive. Yeah. Um, and Dave Barrett is like super smart and like some of the smartest people I know in this industry. But I do feel like this is just a monster jump. Like they're 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 going to fight with Square and fight with Slack, email, and fight with QuickBooks. Like everybody at the same time. And it is a complete world of difference from Expensify, which is a very narrow targeted problem. Expense reports suck. We're making better expense reports. That's why they've been so successful all these years. Is because they took a very painful problem and they just focused and focused and focused and focused on solving that problem for people and made it super easy. And Andy talks about that at the, at the expense report level. Like it's a conversation between, you know, an A, B, and an X. And, and so that's a painful problem. And to me, the pain is the most important thing is to find the pain, solve the pain in an elegant way. What is the pain here that they're solving? Like, it's not hard for me to pay you, David. Like, I just, we have apps where we can do that. I can pay you. It's not hard for me currently to pay my parents even. Like, they they have iPhones, so I can just pay them with Apple Cash and my brother with Venmo. It's like, this is not, like, super painful for me. And I don't need another app to chat with people. I've got all of the apps for chat that I need. Well, I think he's going so. down, right? So, you have expense reports. They do invoices, yeah. right? They do bills. They do corporate travel yeah. booking. They're they're just going to that next layer down, which is hopefully they want to just get all consumers on their platform, right? They're trying to. Right. I get kind of the content of it, but the the email well, feels I, I very too reachy. Late. You're right. You're right. This should be a decade ago. It's too late. Like uh, Square is doing this. Venmo did this. PayPal, right? Venmo owned by PayPal now. So like, and Apple's doing it. Like once Apple starts doing something, it's kind of Facebook and Google. Facebook are doing and it. Google have payments now. Like uh, yeah, I think it's too late. Too late. So if you want to check that out, definitely uh, just go to expensify.cash. We have a couple of developers that listen to our show, but most of us, most of the accounts and bookkeepers that are listening can't sign up for this yet as of yet. But a developer can invite you. So if somebody has a GitHub account and they can sign in to Expensify Cash, they can invite all of us. So we're going to play around with it. So uh, I've got, 
I've got one more app story since we're talking about apps. Okay. And this has to do with payments. So, have you heard of Ripple? You familiar with them? That's a Bitcoin uh, exchange or market or offering. Something Bitcoin. So, it, it is cryptocurrency. Ripple is a company that created its own cryptocurrency. It's, it's like a payments platform built on cryptocurrency. And they created this uh, the uh, cryptocurrency called XRP which has a market cap of $23 billion. It's the third most valuable cryptocurrency after Bitcoin and Ethereum. And Ripple uses it with more than 200 financial institutions, fintechs, and others to move payments around the world. So they've created this cryptocurrency payments, international payments platform. Okay, And I, as a bank, could partner with Ripple to move money more efficiently than with wire transfers. Best I could describe it. Well, the SEC has sued Ripple over sales of their XRP digital assets, saying that XRP itself has elements that make it a security. And this has been a big issue with a lot of these apps that are giving people cryptocurrency as part of like their strategy of growing the platform. The idea is that like, if you create a company and instead of selling stock, you sell cryptocurrency tokens, that's like the same thing in the SEC's mind as if you sold stock. So it's an unregistered security. Kind of, because instead of me giving you stock paperwork, when you invest in my business, I'm going to give you these coins, right. which basically are tied directly to... And the success of the company is tied to the success of the cryptocurrency. So, yeah. So, this is on the other side of the payments you know, uh, battle that's going on, disruption. And this this will have a big, big implications for how future companies uh, establish themselves. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by OnPay. OnPay is an easy-to-use, full-service payroll and HR software that is the right fit for all your clients, whether they have just one or 500 employees to stay organized, save time, and get compliant. OnPay includes the best-in-class integrations to benefit providers, workers' comp plans, QuickBooks, and Xero. They also handle all the complicated stuff that other payroll providers don't, like agricultural payrolls, including Form 943, multi-state payrolls, and employees with H-2A visas. With OnPay's newly released report designer, you can use enterprise-level data and over 50 data points to create multiple report views for all your client stakeholders, be it the C-suite, departments, or HR. Right now, Cloud Accounting Podcast listeners can get three free months of top-rated OnPay payroll and HR service. To learn more, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash onpay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-N-P-A-Y. Onpay, nobody takes better care of your clients. So I think a lot of our listeners are probably at home taking some time off during the holidays, uh, but it doesn't feel all that different because we can work remotely if we need to. I've got some remote work stories to kind of close out this year of remote work. Did you hear about Google and what they're going to do with their office? They have delayed the return to the office yet again. Now Google employees are going to work from home until September 2021. And this is the important part when Google's- And that's moved from, I think, probably June. I think a lot of companies were like June of 2021. Now it's September. And originally, of course, it was like January of 2021. And yeah, it's been pushed. So now Google's pushing it to September. When employees do return- they will be able to work a flexible work week of three days in the office and two from home. So I, I wouldn't say this was really a prediction of mine, but I have been talking about it a lot, how when companies do come back, it's not going to be business as usual. And this is the hybrid schedule that I've been predicting that I thought would happen. I think a lot of companies are going to do this. Three days in the office, two from home. So how? So like, if it's scattered, 
it's going to feel like everybody's just working from home. You're going to go and sit in your cube and, do, and be on Zooms all the time. So then are people even want to go to the office that are just going to be on Zooms? Or is it, would you run this, let's say it's your firm, right? And you have your staff. Would you like, hey, all, all of you in the cast division, you guys show up on Tuesday and all you uh, yeah, teams. in the tax division, you do this and you have the team show up so they get their, their interaction, but the rest of the week they work at home. Is that kind of how you try to Absolutely. That? I think it's important for the teams that work together frequently to actually get together in person once a week if possible. Maybe a couple times. And yeah, you could basically flex time the office. You could have some teams come in on Tuesdays and the other ones stay at home. Maybe you all come in for an all hands at some point. It makes sense, right? Most people are Zooming anyway, like especially on a campus like Google, which is so huge. I bet you that people just go into the office and they end up just getting on a video chat because it's easier than walking to the other building to have a meeting. Oh, I've been in, yeah, I had into it. I've been in conference calls, like three cubes away. Yes. (laughs) So, Google, the tech world, this is all starting to also happen in the accounting world. 81% of firms expect to have more remote work post-pandemic. That's according to a survey I spotted in Accounting Today. It's Convergence Coaching's 2020 Anytime Anywhere Work Survey. 81% of firms anticipate a moderate to significant increase in remote work. Additionally, 61% of firms said their shift to remote work was seamless during the pandemic, while how, how many? 61% were already ready to go, seamless transition. And these are accounting firms? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody's lying in this data. Like 61% were just like ready to go on. I, I just so, I believe it. I actually, an where we're I, you know, I believe it because in many firms, when you do audit, you're on site. You got to be off site. So, all the... Comp- all the tech in the firm is designed around the auditors. Because they're actually at yeah, clients. Exactly. Sites. So they're kind of already remote in a weird way. Gotcha. So that's how it worked for me okay. when I was at Armanino. Like we had the same setup the auditors had, even though I was in an office every day. And so I could work at home, no problem. I had my VPN, I had all the stuff I needed, you know, my my laptop, uh, access to everything remotely. So while 61% had a seamless experience, 27% reported the change was more challenging. What else about remote work here? 30% of respondents expect a reduction in their office footprint post-pandemic. So almost a third are going to reduce their office footprint. Managing team members is the biggest challenge in transitioning to remote work. A majority, solid majority said that that was the hardest problem. And then half also said they are approaching clients about conducting remote audits on an ongoing basis, and half reported that they have developed or are working on remote internship programs. And again, more than half of firms said they are employing team members away from their firm offices. So, so solid numbers for remote work that we're putting up there as a profession, and I just expect this to continue. We're going to see more completely virtual firms, but probably the 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 stepping stone to that is the hybrid approach. A few days in the office, a few days at home, employing a, a certain number of fully remote employees is no longer going to be an issue. So, you're, you have your office, you're ready to bring your employees back, Blake, yeah. right? Your team. Can you require them to get a COVID-19 vaccination? I don't know. I've, I've heard about this question. Uh, I think, is, is the answer yes now? The federal government said the, yes? Yeah. So, the, the answer is yes. Um so there are some ex- uh, exceptions. So, so this has already been ruled on in the past by the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Mm-hmm. They've allowed companies to mandate flu and other vaccines in the past, 
And so they can just, it just rolls up to previous decisions that have been made. Um, there's exceptions, um, religious exceptions, medical exceptions. There's, there's some exceptions. And you probably won't see a lot of employers requiring it because there's a lot of burden. You have to track it. And now this time it's like two shots and there's different depending on which one you get, which company they're getting. The timing's different. It's just the administrative burden of you trying to track all your employees to do this is just a nightmare. And then you're bound to do something wrong and then you probably could have legal implications, et cetera. So you're going to see companies strongly encourage it, but you're not going to require it. So there'll probably be a lot of social pressure. You know, people wear their little sticker, mm-hmm. you know, that type of stuff, but you're not going to, you're probably not going to see it required just because it's a little bit of a headache to do, but. They can. You, you, if you want to, if you're a firm and you want to do that to your staff, you can require them to get a COVID vaccine. But you think most probably won't because of those requirements for having to keep track of it all. It's just too much to manage. And, and if you can have your employees work from home, like why even, why go through, why not have a slow transition back to the office? It's not like we haven't been getting stuff done in 2020. I've got one more remote work story. Okay. And this is a follow-up continuation of something we've talked about on the show, which is remote work and state income taxes, the battle between the states about who is going to get this money. So you have a bunch of people that used to work in Massachusetts and they live in New Hampshire and their employer is still technically in Massachusetts. They've got that office in Boston and these people have left Massachusetts that used to work in that office and now they're working in New Hampshire. They're living and working in New Hampshire for that company that's based in Massachusetts. And they're not driving across state borders anymore. And guess what? New Hampshire doesn't have income tax, tax free state. And Massachusetts is saying, I'm going to tax you, even though you're working remotely in New Hampshire, because your employer is here in Massachusetts. New Hampshire does not like this situation. So they have filed suit against Massachusetts in the Supreme Court, Because the Supreme Court, you have to go straight up there because they resolve disputes between the states. And this is a big deal because it's going to have huge implications on whether or not states can collect income tax from residents in other states who may never even be setting foot in, you know, Massachusetts or New York or whatever. It's interesting with the... The all the legislation, right? These bills with five thousand pages that are going through for the stimulus, et cetera, and all the oddball little stuff being shoved in there. That there hasn't been anything shoved in here. Just like when originally with internet sales and sales tax, originally it was nobody knew what to do. So they're like, "Here's the deal: we're not going to do anything." Yeah, they just carved out an exception until Wayfair yeah, came, yeah. and then now, no, it's it's a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> but they're, they're, but they delayed the nightmare until everybody could kind of handle it, and we had a decade to digest it. Like this all happened pretty quickly with COVID, and it almost feels like the federal government should just make a, a stance that hey, states, here's the deal for 2020. People just pretend they're living there, or uh, but I don't even know if that's easy. No, to that's do. what we should do is we should just have a federal law that says you get taxed on your income wherever you physically are. And that that would solve this for 2020. And and maybe you, you break it up by proportion. So if you spent 20% of your time in Massachusetts and 80% in New Hampshire, Massachusetts is entitled to 20% of your income. Like just make it super simple like that. The problem right now is that every state has different rules. And seven states, yes. seven states, including Massachusetts, tax people where their office is, even if they work remotely in a different state. And that's what this fight is about. Massachusetts actually created a rule because of the pandemic that allows them to tax those people that are in New Hampshire or in other states because they were afraid of losing all this revenue. So they pulled a fast one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And what I love is New Hampshire's complaint 
the governor of, of New Hampshire said on Wednesday, quote, Massachusetts's current position is a far cry from our country's rallying call of no taxation without representation, which do they seem to have forgotten originated in their state? Wow. Yeah. That was good, right? I like that. No taxation without representation, right? If I'm not a resident of your state, how can you tax me? I have a feeling we're going to be talking about this story a lot for the next three months, four months. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. Just like with the PBP, people can't get guidance on um, – we might have true guidance now, right? But it, is this going to be one of those things where people are going to be stuck filing their federal taxes because they're waiting for a ruling now? Hopefully, the Supreme Court will take this up sooner rather than later, especially now that more states have filed amicus briefs in the case. So, it's not just New Hampshire and Massachusetts anymore. We've got New Jersey coming in on the side of New Hampshire because a lot of people live in New Jersey and have employers in New York City. So, New Jersey wants to tax that income. They don't want to have New York take all that income now. Connecticut also jumping in on this. So, a lot of these, uh, what do you call them? Um, bedroom community kind of states where people used to live there, work in New York or work in Massachusetts. They're going to want that income. They want that to tax that income. Have we, I don't think I have, but have you? Has has the AICPA taken a stance on this yet? Um, rep- I haven't. Uh, s- what their point of view is, or, or have, you know, they created this coalition of all the payroll yeah. providers. Like, is there, like, is anybody in the industry taking a stance on this, or is it just the states being gre- greedy? Is not the right word, but it is right. They're they're fighting over this. Yeah. this well, money. you know, they need the revenue, right? And yep. I I, don't, I haven't seen the AICPA take a stance, and I doubt they will because AICPA is a national organization, and they have member societies in these different states. So it's like you don't want to take sides on this when you're supposed to be representing everyone. So I think I don't think they will. But there's going to have to be a federal stance though on this. So I mean, if if the Supreme Court's ruling on it, AICPA should be involved. We'll see what happens. It's a hot button issue for sure. One more remote work story, and this is about practice management, if you are running a virtual firm, what should you be doing with the money that you're saving by not having a physical office? And it is substantial. On average, a firm can save 3 to 4% of their annual revenue by not having an office. You're not paying rent, you're not paying utilities. Now, should that money go straight to profit or should you be doing something else with it? And the argument in this CPA Trendlines article by Jody Grunden, founder of Summit CPA Group, says you need to be investing that money back into your firm to make up for the disadvantage that remote work puts you at. And you should probably be spending that money on meetings, firm retreats where you all get together. His firm, they meet twice a year, once a year as a full team and a second time through CPE or departmental meetings. The cost of in-person events for Summit CPA, roughly accumulates to the same 3 to 4% of annualized revenue that a company would save by not having a traditional brick-and-mortar office. They try to keep the average price per person at or near about $2,000 to $2,500 for the team retreat and $1,000 to $1,500 for departmental and CPE events. That includes hotel, travel, meals. That, that makes sense. I mean, because I think I had an article a couple of weeks ago that the average, the amount you spend on having a, a desk for somebody in the office is $11,000 a year. So if you spend $5,000 a year for two retreats for one employee, you're still coming out ahead. Oh, yeah. You're w- coming out way ahead on that, right? So so I think this is an important thing. For all the firms that are re- moving to remote, moving to hybrid, you still got to invest the money in team building exercises. And you got to bring people together 
a few times a year, like once this ends and be willing to spend the money on that. You shouldn't view this as just a way to, to save and, you know, make more profit. So suggest that to your partners, see how they react. (laughs) (laughs) So did he only mention about this offset or did he say other ways to invest the money, other ideas in the article? Uh, This is the one specific way is that take your rent that you're saving, put it into team retreats and do it like twice a year. So this would be great to hear from the listeners, right? Uh, If any of you, you know, you're, you're, you, you have your little extra profit this year. Are you taking it home? Are you reinvesting in your firm somehow? Uh, I can th- easily see like technology, buying everybody webcams, better home office equipment, security, right? I think there's some things that definitely probably would be expenses that maybe you wouldn't have spent on before. But um, it'd be great to hear what other ideas people have for what to do with that extra money. Maybe invest in some cyber security. <laughs> Did you hear about this? That uh, Remember we talked about that solar winds hack last week, the yes, federal government? Yes. So. Going Concern reports that Deloitte was a victim of this. Apparently, they are a customer of SolarWinds. And so, this was part of that Wall Street Journal story on December 21st. Uh, The journal analyzed some sort of data that's available. I don't know how they did it with their tech people and figured out that Deloitte had servers that got infected by SolarWinds hack. And Deloitte hasn't really said much. They said in a statement that they have, quote, taken steps to address the malware. Uh, but they haven't, quote, observed indications of unauthorized access to our systems at this time. All we know is they got hacked. We don't know what what got stolen. Just like with all the federal government stuff, we really don't know. Treasury got infected, but did that impact tax? Did that impact like people's tax returns did the, did, or communications? Like, we really don't know. So, something to, fun to look forward to in 2021 is the uh, WikiLeaks <laughs> I don't know where this information is going to go once it gets out there, right? What, what's it yeah. going to get used for? Who knows? Like, so get get ready. So I do have one more article and then we could get into our predictions here. Okay. So I found an article. It's a how to declutter your life in 15 steps. And I was, I, I kind of was like mocking it. I was like, this is going to be dumb. So I clicked on the article, checked it out. But it's actually um, a decent article. And it talks first about de- decluttering your digital life. And I think there's some important things you could do for your clients even in this. It's just like a Marie Kondo for my digital life. Like uh, I have to hold every file in my hand and ask, it's not like ask does that. this bring me joy? No, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. But the first first thing it says do is like back up everything you have stored digitally. That means even stuff that you have on iCloud and Google Photos and everything you have, back it up, right? And then set set up a situation where you have your device automatically backing up, right? Back up everything. Then you start to go delete things that don't serve you. If you have an app that you don't use anymore just to take blurry selfies or text threads, just delete. Just go to town and after you back up, just go to town and delete everything. Just delete everything you're not using. And then it talks about organizing your files and it has a really good tip. Like it doesn't really matter how you organize them as much. It's just have a system. So you could do it alphabetical. You do it by file type or category or by color just so that way it looks clean. And when you go to find something, it's fast, right? Just having everything like I have a bad habit. I have my downloads folder is monstrous. I, I even save things <laughs> to the downloads folder because it's the one I'm in all the time, right? right? You're right. constantly downloading stuff. Like that is like, my, that's like my new, the new C drive for me. It's just like the root directory. Everything just, I, I save things in downloads folder. It's just because so, I don't, I'm, I'm not in other folders. It's easy to find, but it's a total mess. Well, a mess. so my rule with downloads is that uh, every now and then I go through and if it's over 30 days old, I just delete it because it obviously is not that important. It must be live somewhere else. It's probably in my email. It's, I can get it on from, you know what I mean? Like So then now you've decluttered your digital life, yeah. right? And then it goes into decluttering your home trash and then it gets into actually in your home office a little bit. But the problem is the very first tip in the home office 
declutter is go digital. So, <laughs> so scan everything, get e-statements, get e-bills, and, and get rid of that paper clutter. But now you've just – you basically you've just shifted that paper clutter mess to your filing. digital device, yeah. right? Which is a little uh, uh, tricky. And then obviously things like shredding, outdated information, you should do that. And then, you know, invest in staples, like things that help you organize things, staple things together, you know. The only thing a stapler is used for in our household is my son stapling random pieces of paper together in our house. And then the last piece is uh, audit your calendar. Clean out your calendar. Delete recurring meetings that you have on there. You never really go to like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to that Wednesday coffee Zoom every Wednesday and you never go. Just delete it. Just get off your calendar. And then really plan your calendar because when you don't plan your calendar very well, that just creates clutter automatically. So it's a good little article. I was surprised like when something, cause it's not even 15 steps because it's actually each one has, it might be 35 steps in here to declutter your life, which is gigantic, but you know, jump in. So my big pet peeve is recurring calendar meetings. Like when somebody sends me a weekly recurring meeting, I just know what's going to happen already. I can tell as soon as I get the first invite that, yeah, the first few meetings will be productive. And then slowly it will stop to happen. Like we'll start canceling the meeting almost every other meeting. It just sits there on your calendar, sucking up valuable time and time is money. A recurring calendar appointment is if it's an hour long, you know, 50 hours a year. That's, that's like a, I don't know. It's somebody's typical billing rate could be like a $10,000 commitment. Do we allow people to like just spend $10,000 in our firms without getting approval for that? But no, we'll let them send a calendar appointment. Oh, and then if it's like 10 people, you know, you've just you just booked up like a hundred grand in people's time for the year. I, I just, they're the worst. And then you have to, if it's on your calendar, it gets canceled or moved. You're always moving it. It's just clutter. Right. It's just in well, your way. It's, it's, you're constantly it, readjusting it, moving and it. And it's blocking out time that you could have used for other appointments that week. Right. And it's not like yeah. you suddenly become more productive because you have this one hour like gap that you know always appears. Well, it doesn't get canceled to the last minute. And then you have this gap that you didn't plan for that you could have utilized and shifted. Yeah. I, I, I hear you there. So, uh, any other articles? Should we jump into our <laughs> predictions? Well, let's talk about predictions. Yeah. Cause, uh, we got five minutes left. Let's do it. You, you got, uh, drums or something? Is there a special effect? Uh, you know, I could probably find like a free sound effect. Go, uh, but I'll, for now, I'm just going to hit my table. There you go. Let's talk, let's talk about our predictions, which I didn't make a prediction. So, I hope you have a really good one. I have a prediction and I actually predicted this on a webinar I was on last week or two weeks ago. We kind of saw a hint of this with LegalZoom last week getting into our space. But my prediction is somebody that we don't expect is going to be in our space. Amazon releases an inventory app. It could be um, Netflix doing a payroll app. Like somebody <laughs> that we do not expect will be in our space. Okay. By the end of this year, at the end of 2021. Well, that's kind of – you're just continuing your prediction from last year. Like, I, Okay. That's, I mean, you call me out on that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's going to – it's a trend that is continuing and you correctly called it. So, I think it's fair to you're, – you're doubling down on this prediction. I'm doubling down, but I but my belief, like it was obvious banks are coming down into the GLs, mm-hmm. right? And GLs are going towards banks and, you know, Square is going to do a GL and – but I think it's going to be somebody we don't expect. Banks are – they're in the financial game. They're just one notch away. But I think it's going to be somebody we don't expect because they're not in the financial game coming into our game. So, my prediction is over the last few years, we've seen the tremendous growth of accounts payable payroll in bookkeeping. And so, now there's this stack of three services, this set of three services that's pretty common in cash practices where you have bookkeeping, bill pay, and payroll. And I think we're going to add another one 
the one that's going to grow is going to be cash forecasting, financial forecasting, financial modeling, whatever you want to call it. Like that is where the money's at. More and more firms are going to go into that because it's the way to make more money without having to add a ton more clients. And I, th- I think that's what everyone wants, right? Especially if you have a lifestyle firm, you don't want to go and hire a zillion people and manage them. You just want to be able to double your revenue and make a nice healthy profit out of doing that without having to like get a bunch more clients. And we all like working with the clients more who we spend more time with when we're advising them. And it, it makes sense, right? Because you're controlling the bookkeeping stack and the accounts payable stack and the payroll stack. You now are controlling the cash flow stack. Yeah. And so you might as well lead with that as your because that's ultimately what business owners kind of want, right? They 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 want to know what their cash situation is. And if you can utilize your other three services to support that fourth service that you can probably possibly charge a premium for. It's hard to try to say like, hey, we'll pay your bills for you. Give us a premium payment for <laughs> yeah. this. But if you can be like, hey, I'm going to help you. If you frame it differently, right? Yeah. I'm going to help you never run out of... I'm going to help you sleep at night on a Friday because you're not going to be worried about if checks are going to bounce or not bounce. And that's a great point, David. Payroll and bill pay... That's the expenses for a business, well, along with expense reports, right? And so if you own that, if you do that, then you can see where the cash is going and you can provide this information. And honestly, that is what small business owners want is they want to know that they've got enough revenue coming in. They've got cash flow going out where they can still pay themselves their own salary and get a distribution and also know that they're saving money for that eventual retirement they want to have, or they're building up equity so they can sell this business. That is what they really want. So your prediction is advisory. (laughs) (laughs) But advisory specifically through not just like generic bullshit, amorphous, I am going to be your trusted advisor, which I freaking hate that term. Okay. Trusted advisor. No, I I don't want to be your trusted advisor. I want to be your effective advisor that helps you like achieve your goals, like what you wanted to. Ooh, you should go get that domain. Effectiveadvisor.com. Effective advisor. Quickly before you release the show and somebody else buys it. All right. So just to summarize, I'm predicting that some player, Disney, somebody like is not not in our financial space is going to be in our space. And you're predicting that firms are going to finally add cash flow management. We've been talking about advisory for 10 years, I feel like, and they're finally going to be able to do it because we've finally got the tech stack figured out where we can actually look forward for the clients in a system. Can we do a com- a combined prediction of like, we'll still be talking about PPP? <laughs> I mean, yeah, for sure. I think uh, we're going to be talking about it until the summer, definitely. And then the whole like forgiveness application process, like I had that interview with Justin Alangian, which everyone should go listen to. I did two of them now. Yeah. He's, he, I, I was totally mistaken. I thought that the applications had to be filled out like this year. But that's apparently just when the form expires and they'll make a new one. And the the earliest that people might have to apply is like in the summer. Because it's so many months after the termination it's, it, or the origination of your loan it's date, the right? maturity of the loan is when you maturity, have to apply right. by. So, you have a long time to do it. And then for people who are getting PPP 2.0, they might have maturity dates that are like in 2022 potentially. So, this is going to go on for a long time. Oh, boy. Yeah. All right. Enough of that. <laughs> so, well, Blake, enjoy your uh, next time I talk to you will be 2021. Can you believe this? I can. It's been a long year and it's been fun doing the show with you. D- thanks for keeping me doing this every week. Like, you know, we, we have done it every week. We don't miss. We don't miss. It's, it's, 
it's important to us and, and now it's part of our DNA and just we get up and you do it on Saturday morning or Sunday morning and it'd be very easy to skip, but we do not skip. We do not skip because we love our listeners and they love us. And we know this because we got two new reviews this week, Blake. Let's read those reviews. I'm going to take the short one. All right. This is a review from Sun CPA and a small bookkeeping firm. And it's a five-star review on Apple iTunes. And it says, I like this show. Short and sweet. I like that review. Here's our second review. The headline is a must listen podcast, five stars. I work for an outsourced accounting company. The company leadership recommended this podcast when I asked them for suggestions on accounting apps. I have been hooked on this podcast since the first episode I heard. I love being able to stay current on accounting news. The app news is incredibly useful for me to keep in mind when thinking about my clients and how to best serve their needs. This podcast is fantastic and Blake and David always keep it interesting and entertaining. That is from Mrs. Shani Banani via Apple Podcasts in the United States of America. Thank you so much, Mrs. Shani Banani and some CPA and a small bookkeeping firm. We really appreciate those reviews. And if our listeners have not given us a review and want to do that, David, where should they go? So, if you're in the Apple world, you can go to Apple Podcasts and you can leave reviews there. If you want to leave a review, actually, you could leave two reviews. You could leave a review on Apple Podcasts and you can leave a review on Podchaser. So, it's podchaser.com. Just find the Cloud Accounting Podcast, click reviews, and you can write a review there. And also, our listeners, we'd love it if you called our voicemail number, 202-695-1040. And tell us what you're spending that extra profit on this year from that money you saved from not having an office. I would love to hear that. David, until next year... Have a happy and safe holiday. See you in 2021. Time for the classifieds. I want to tell you about a new workflow solution called Bacotech. Bacotech is a cloud solution that puts CPAs in the middle of their clients' data. Bacotech gathers clients' data and delivers it to CPAs in real time through one login, enabling CPAs to make adjustments to tax returns and client accounting issues as they happen, not at for year end. Bacotech helps CPAs provide their clients with the proactive services they need and increases the firm's efficiency and leads to working less overtime in busy season. To learn more about Bacotech, head over to bacotech.com. Looking to radically increase productivity as a cloud accountant? Introducing ClientHub's Frictionless Workflow, a unique combination of internal workflow seamlessly blended with client tasks and communications. See how our frictionless experience across your team and your clients will save you hours of time. Get started today with a free trial at clienthub.app. Enter promo code CAP25 for 25% off your first three months. ClientHub, truly frictionless workflow. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info, and be sure to check out our special stimulus pricing of four episodes for just $100.